0: I'm Lizanne Flynn. I'm a master healer who works with all earthlings to reunite them within themselves and with each other, regardless of the dimensions they're currently in. Meaning, I'm a medium as well as an animal communicator, medical intuitive, and channel for all beings. I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support animals and humans as they heal from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animal's Eye View podcast. Sometimes here in the fabulous state of Colorado, it seems like we leapfrog completely over spring into summer. And all the natives and semi-natives and transplants who live here understand what I mean by that. And for a while there, late April into early May, it looked like we might just do that again. The temps were really high and kind of unseasonably so. And there was already talk of whether or not the fire danger would be as high again last year as it was this year. We had a relatively dry winter as well, and as everyone says, and everyone secretly hates hearing about the snow, we sure can use the moisture, though. That's kind of a standard Colorado phrase. <laughs> we're we're not actually as well known for our spring snows, though. Uh, I think I think it's because out of staters perceive that because the state is also well known for its skiing. That, that we've got blizzards going at a steady pace during the winters. And that can happen, and more so out on the plains of the state, uh, both, both east and south, where there aren't enough mountains to stop the snow. Our spring snows, though, are the ones that are legendary. Truly le- legendary, as in schools shutting down, businesses starting late or not at all kind of legendary. They tend to happen between February and even late April of the year. And yes, they're intensely moisture heavy. You can tell the difference every time you dig that shovel into the snow. And the thing is, you have to kind of shovel in layers. I know that sounds weird, but maybe people will understand that if you get 10 inches of snow, you have to take off the first five first, because otherwise, literally, it's just too heavy to lift. The, the plants have begun to stir at this point, and so we're always anxious about whether a late frost will put an end to anything or the snow that may have poked its head above ground. And we're also always eager to caution those not familiar with our springs to wait until le- at least after Memorial Day, some natives may differ with me on this point, to plant anything outside that you're not willing to lose should a late spring snow come and call in. The past two weeks, though, have been a glorious time of rain, and I'm a girl who likes a good day or two, dare I say, maybe even three, of rain. It's just kind of a reset. And again, here in the state of Colorado, we're also known for our X number of days of sunshine a year. And so it seems like we're having an actual spring. The air is cool. The rain comes and goes, especially at night, which is just delightful. And just for this two weeks, neither the heat nor the air conditioning is necessary. One can even begin to courageously sleep with the bedroom window cracked open just a wee bit, provided you have enough blankets on top to make sure you're comfy, cozy underneath. I posted today in the animals uh, in the Facebook Animals I View group about morel mushrooms, the elusive magical morel. That may haunt more chefs' dreams than any other food perhaps. If you've not had morels lightly battered and then fried, well my friend, I feel sorry for you. The time that they're available is only in that, this really brief little window between early to late spring, a true spring, where the moisture of the rains combined with the growing heat of the sun yield a perfectly delightful, safely edible planetary food. I'll post a link in the podcast notes about them along with the recipe if you're so inclined to hunt them in your area. And along with the planetary cycle of regeneration here in the northern hemisphere for the plant beings, of course there's also the same creation of new animal experiences for those light beings who choose to come to earth just as you and I did. There's a term that may explain why the young of some animals and I include humans in this group are so appealing to their parents. It's called kinshin schema. And I'll put a link in the podcast notes about this as well. They the young of a fair number of mammal species, anyway, have big eyes, they have physical fragility, they, uh, they are clumsy, and that makes us want to protect them and creates in us the feeling called kinshin schema. I'd call it by another name, empathy. And perhaps because we've been there ourselves at one point in time that we can sense how it must feel to them to be so fragile and frankly make for easy prey, should any other animal so choose that partnership with them. We can literally feel how their experience is for them on all levels, physical, emotional, and mental. And because we have empathy for them, we choose to honor that and we can protect them. And you know who else protects the young animal in the wild during the spring? Yes, their parents do, and more specifically, their mothers. We have all heard that saying about mama bears, and for all the moms out there, I myself can say that is a a unique and a lifetime feeling of having this rage, <laughs> little rage, come out of nowhere in a defensive reaction to something that has happened to your young, kind of no matter how old they are. And for some reason, that very same Kinshin schema that we embrace as our own is somehow not present at all for other species, especially at this time of year as they protect their young. As fellow animal experiences here on this planet, they are also very interested in protecting their young because they know, as we do on some level that the, the advancement of as many of their young as possible into adulthood also means that their species is not only surviving on Earth, they're also thriving. They accept, as we somehow do not, that a few of their young may not survive into adulthood, and yet every single other species on the planet embraces and is still able to grieve when a young one is surrendered in partnership as prey to another predator. And of course, they fight to protect just as we do. And of course, they lean into their animal experience as we do not, and see the duality of sunshine and shade as the only way to recognize truly the unity of all who are part of this earth experience. Keep in mind, after all, that our species is the only one that has completely overburdened the Earth's resources with our numbers. And to quote David Attenborough, we are a plague upon the planet. And yet, at this time of year, we also perceive that any defensive reaction on their part, should we be unaware of their more than likely presence in any area into which we, who don't usually live in their outdoor homes, happen to stray, we see it as an attack as in, I was attacked, he, she was attacked, they were, we all were, or can be attacked. Never mind the Kenshin schema that every other mother animal feels for her young, just as we do. We attribute to them our emotions of, hey, I was just minding my own business, and out of nowhere, this other being angrily and aggressively came at me with the intent to do harm. When in reality, It is a defensive reaction to an intrusion on our part into their veritable living rooms. Land, sea, or air, it's all the same. We're the intruders who can be perceived as meaning to do harm to them or to their young. They know full well our dual role as both predator and prey. I've talked before about anthropomorphism, wherein we attribute to animals in general our emotional states, usually in an attempt to objectify them, which, of course, is also about passively attempting to dominate them. When we paint them with our aggression and desire to do harm, we also fail to hold ourselves accountable for our actions, especially in this day and age of social media. The guy who encounters an 11-foot alligator and then follows the alligator back towards the lake just to get a video. Or the guy who attempts to get closer to a mountain lion's litter of cubs and is chased for a good 10 minutes backwards down the mountain trail. The list is endless, and to it I would add the tragic, really tragic incidents of people who transition because of their missteps and lack of understanding in the territory of animals in the wild, and yet still... Statements are made that because the animal in the wild might develop a taste for our flesh, they are killed. We perceive it as a preemptive strike against another predator. The opposite end of the spectrum and where anthropomorphism starts and becomes insidiously ingrained and our human experiences through the doorway of the very same Kinshin schema and the cute, air quotes, factor. We start to attribute to them human identities, and yes, of course, they have their own sentient personalities, just as we do, because they have separate soul paths, just as we do in this experience. That line, though, is so fine, where we cross over and lose sight of who they are and what's happening to them in that situation. A case in point. A video of a grandma bonobo tickling her young granddaughter in a zoo. We're so thirsty for any sign of their alliance with us, and therefore our control of them, that we overlook any anthropomorphic overlay. Yes, grandma was delighting in her young one. Yes, that likely would have happened in the wild as well. And yes, the fact that the granddaughter would never experience anything other than life in captivity is the main point. We cannot allow ourselves to be seduced and further seduced by Kenshin schema. I've also talked before about the animal's defensive reaction versus our sustained aggression. The death of empathy on our part for their lives is because we want them to be us so that we can somehow be safe from them. It's this really weird kind of funhouse mirror thing that we look in the mirror and we think we're seeing ourselves, but we're not. We're seeing a distortion because they are not us and we are not them. And our desire to want to be safe from them flies in the face of reality of predator and prey on this planet. And frankly, as David Attenborough might agreed with, calls into question who exactly is attacking whom. At least that's how the animals see it. Thanks for listening today. Leave a review if you're so inspired and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. Reach out if you think I can be of service via www.LizanneFlynn.com. Come and find me on social media, Facebook, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I invite you to sign up for my quarterly newsletter on my website, where I also post notices for upcoming events, such as new classes and online psychic fairs. I'll be out of town the next time the new podcast is set to drop. So rather than the week after next, it will actually be two weeks after next. This has been the Animals Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time.